You're listening to the Digital Void Podcast, where we explore digital culture, media, technology, and memes, featuring critical and empowering conversations with experts at the forefront of our digital moment. My name is Josh Chapdelaine, and my co-host is Dr. Jamie Cohen. Where can influencers turn after they've been canceled? Internet culture writer Steffi Sow joins us today to discuss the canceled to conservative influencer pipeline. It's a trend based more in the aesthetics of religion than in true belief. It's based on a piece Steffi wrote for Fast Company that Jamie and Digital Void collaborator Jenny Chang were both interviewed for. In this conversation, we discuss why it's important to know when influencers are true believers of a cause or simply grifting. The relationship between this type of content and recommendation algorithms on social media platforms and why it all matters from economics to real world action. Before we begin today, I wanted to take a moment to express gratitude to our growing audience. Each week we feature a deep dive or story about how creators, media, and technology shape our world. And thanks to you, we just achieved our best month ever. So please remember to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend on social media. As we continue to grow, we'll be announcing live streams, special workshops, live events, and premium offerings. Do you have thoughts on today's episode or a previous episode? We want to hear from you. Make sure to reach out to us at hello at digitalvoid.media. Now, here's today's conversation with internet culture journalist, Steffi Sow. Steffi, it is so great to see you again. Thank you so much for joining us on the Digital Void podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. It's so good to see you. Yeah, thank you for being here. We love your work. And today we want to talk to you about one of your recent pieces in Fast Company, which is titled, Influencers are Pandering to Conservatives to Salvage Their Post-Cancellation Careers. Can you explain Hype Houses and then what happened when things didn't work out for Taylor Holter? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the hype house, of course, for those who have been on 2020 TikTok was, I think, with the formative TikTok creator house with some of the biggest, you know, names in the TikTok game still today, Charlie D'Amelio, Addison Rae, and of course, Taylor Holder, who was a very prominent member of the TikTok content creator house. And a creator house is really just like people who get together, live together, and make videos together in order to boost each other's platforms bigger and bigger. Taylor Holder, I I believe the sexual assault allegations began in January 2022. And the hype house sort of was crumbling at that point in history when there was like lots of drama happening with between creators and Taylor Holder was another one who women began coming forward about. Of course, like the allegations then started, I think, internal drama between another member, Bryce Hall and Taylor Holder, I believe, briefly went offline, but then sort of like resurfaced as an independent creator, slowly beginning to pivot over to country music. A lot of his content is very wrapped up in like the bells and whistles of like what people stereotypically think of country music as a conservative outlet. So a lot of like photos with guns and like you know lyrics about trucks and sort of like this like idea of a conservative blue collar worker and sort of like creating an image around that though what he believes is like we don't really know he's never endorsed a candidate or anything so an influencer can't lose their audience this is their career this is what they do so is it tougher 
to pivot to something that's more media oriented or is it is it tougher to put pivot to like more christian fundamentalism conservative tiktok and gun rights two way type of stuff and like christian nationalism type of stuff like is that the easier pivot is this like the only the route that some people can take I think this is what was so interesting about interviewing Jennifer Chang, the brand strategist, who, of course, has done great work with Digital Void as well. Hearing her talk about, like, from a brand strategist perspective of why this channel is so easy to pivot to was so interesting to hear because a lot of what she talked about in the piece was a lot of Christianity, especially the sense of, like, if you're a white creator and you pivot to Christian content, forgiveness is a big one. It's a big tenet of the religion, but also of, like, conservative internet wanting people to be part of their fold. So this sort of, like, evangelistic <laughs> tendency of, like, trying to spread the message, especially with mainstream creators, is really appealing. And I think it is probably great for engagement as well. I mean any internet loves hyperbole so right so it is engagement in the end and it continues to work for them this isn't just about faith or this isn't about christianity or anything like that the idea here is that it's mainstreaming a series of dog whistles that come from the like underbelly of deeper right-wing internet it comes off as like this very easy platformed expression of faith and love for jesus and so forth and like you said you don't really know what taylor believes or any of them for that matter i could testify that cole lebrant is likely like super Christian. You know, he's an OG right. family YouTuber and like his faith is pretty much part of his identity. But when somebody has to pivot, it, it really is one of those things where it doesn't just feel like pandering, but actually feels like a method to another version of fame. It's not even like, like I, I, the term cancellation for them isn't really even applicable then because it feels like mm -hmm. they just pivoted to a place where they're, they know where a secondary audience already exists. And thanks to Elon's ex is like growing like exponentially and mm -hmm. making it much more mainstream. Yeah. This didn't feel mainstream until recently. And now all of a sudden it just feels like it's a place to go. Is is this something you find like concerning? I mean, absolutely. I think especially when there is not enough media literacy among the regular user of like, hey, what is this influencer really selling me? And as passive consumption becomes a much more prominent issue, like people aren't actively critis critically thinking about the content they're being fed on their feeds. Of course, it becomes incredibly dangerous and extremism is increasingly hard to detect among people who are, they don't seem fringe. They seem like someone you could follow and someone you could, you know, like and engage with and, you know, like their music or like their clothes or their makeup. While there are some very deep, like you said, deep and very dangerous dog whistles running throughout their platform. Can you expand a little bit about the passive viewing are you referring specifically to people who are consuming content on TikTok and maybe some of the dynamics that inform the lack of media literacy and passive viewing today? Yeah, I think TikTok is a huge one when it comes to like, literally, it is a for you page. So I, I think in news curation, a lot of a huge principle of having a static curated news homepage is that there is a shared truth of what people are seeing when they all go to one page. This is what's happening in the world. Whereas, you know, for a For You page, it is algorithmically curated to the user. So you don't have the sense of shared reality anymore. And then when there's this infinite scroll and of course other platforms, it's not just TikTok, but like Instagram and YouTube with their short form video, it's easy to just like keep scrolling. You don't really think about, you don't have to, there's no active need to go to a site and then like 
receive information that might not align with your views, but it's just a continuous feed. Like you're almost like like a child in front of like a bunch of infomercials and you just like, are you really thinking? I'm not I, like. <laughs> I really like the comparison to infomercials because commercialization and financialization is ultimately where this leads, right? So when we speak about the case studies of individuals who end up pivoting, they do so because as both of you mentioned, their careers are tied to their audience, which allows them to earn a living. And when they earn a living based on the aesthetics and ideas and archetypes of Christian nationalism and right-wing, extremist right-wing ideology, how would you categorize the financial incentive? Can you walk us through why there's such a strong incentive for people to take this turn and where ultimately they end up monetizing? Why does this ultimately matter and why does it work? Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to money, right? Everything, especially as I think Taylor Lorenz wrote about this in 2017, this like divergence of the term social media, like some of it would become social, like be real, like laps, like things that you just use to connect to your friends. And then there's just the media part, like TikTok, Instagram is where people are ultimately headed. It's about consuming and everything that you would get from like a magazine or otherwise is or an infomercial. Commercial is literally where these apps are headed. So influencers need to sell. Regardless, influencers need to sell no matter what they believe or ultimately what content they're pushing out, there needs to be money coming in because that's their job. So when it comes to people who are pivoting over to Christian content, it's easy. And we talk about this in the piece. It's easy to sell things under a belief system because you can sell any product, right? It's You're not tied to like just makeup or just clothes. Like you can sell really anything. You can see Christian apparel being pushed out, Christian activewear. Brittany Dawn was really one who sold something bigger, almost like like a larger aesthetic of the belief system. Kelsey went to her her weekend program where you could buy tickets to get a little Bible, a little customized Bible and meet her and get baptized in a mm. horse trough. And oh that was like like two hundred something dollars for the weekend. And so <laughs> there's a political end of it, but there's also just really the commercial end of like you need to you gotta sell something. And when you move over to pandering towards a conservative belief system, that's a belief system you can sell. You can package up anything into that belief system. And when you package up anything into it, there is a relationship between the creator who may or may not actually believe this and an audience who deeply believes this. And the audience is buying in not necessarily based on a lived experience of the creator, but the aesthetics or the ideas that fuel that, right? So you referred to longtime Digital Void collaborator Kelsey Weekman. So ultimately, that's an outcome, right? The outcome is to sell $200 experiences, right? But can you speak to maybe how this affects a larger shift on the ground in terms of belief? Yeah, I think that's the that's really what is the danger of these conservatives pandering towards people who are conservative is that it shifts the very fabric of how people vote, how people treat other people, because if you're consuming content that is sort of saying that ultimately, I mean, Meredith Foster is one that is very open about her beliefs that abortion is wrong and like homosexuality, something that can be cured. And, you know, trans people don't deserve rights like that then impacts, you know, this growth of a very racist, 
very misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic, everything, very oppressive and violent uh, belief system that then fuels things like the insurrection that we saw. Like that was something that was pushed out through primarily like the internet, if not wholly the internet. And there were real human impacts. And of course, when money's tied into that, it's a question of like, will this stop? Like, will this end if like a creator sees the human impact of their shift? And maybe they really do believe that themselves. But like, if you see that human impact of the content you're pushing out, where do you really go from there? There's something you mentioned in, the, in your piece, too, that even today in Business Insider, writer Daniel Cox write about this, and it's from a political standpoint about the differential between Gen Z's political affiliations how young women are tilting more liberal and young men are tilting more conservative. And I personally attribute a lot of this to the lack of media literacy and internet literacies during the stay-at-home period. And during that period, we weren't equipped for young people to really interact with internet content. And a lot of K-12 environments don't actually have access to YouTube. While they may have Chromebooks, YouTube itself is like its own separate environment. And so a lot of young people were kind of like told how to be in a reactionary way, you know, so the business insider piece relates it to me too. But I related a lot to like Andrew Tate's influence in a lot of these spaces and, and a lot of the idea that a lot of the algorithm itself and what you were mentioning before of how it's like there's no front page, there's no place to see the objectiveness before we get to see our silos. People aren't actually seeing outside of their realities and inside of those realities, their, their walled silos, they're only getting to experience things like the aesthetic part. And the aesthetic part is fairly surface level and changes all the time. Like it's hyper niche, you know, it's like this is this is still niche, even though it's like a pivot. But underneath, you dig just slightly deeper, you get to sites like aesthetic sites like uh, Worth Fighting For or uh, Trad Aesthetics or Trad West. And these are public accounts on Instagram. Like they're just open. They're just out there. And when you go to them, they're completely baked with misogyny, traditional lifestyles, and it seems like a desire or, an, or a way of being. But really, it's it's like you just mentioned, like it's based on a very white, a very supremacist aspect and a very like exclusionary tactic of like men being the dominant feature in somebody's life. And do you think young people know? Do they have the right guidance at all for this? Or is like when somebody like Taylor Holden pivots, is that something that like they just see as normalized? I think it's so difficult to say because I think it's really twofold, right? It's, it's It becomes down to when there's no systemic checks and balances, it boils down to how good is the individual at that, which I think I've seen, we've seen across the gamut. Like we see kids who are, you know, 10 years old shutting down, you know, police like apps during 2020, like the K-pop stands absolutely flooding police watch apps with fan cams of Jimin or buying out the Trump rally in Tulsa. Like that was a hugely online movement, largely led by K-pop stands. But like that is an active show of how young people are very understanding of the ways in which the algorithm not only works to serve them content, but how they can actively counter program it. So there's that. I think there's also a sense of like you see 10 year olds in Sephora buying drunk elephant retinol. And clearly it, that's a show of like they, they don't know that they don't. A 10 year old doesn't need retinol. A 10 year old doesn't need anti-aging right. skin chemicals. <laughs> but 
It looks pretty. It looks really pretty. And a grown, successful woman is using it in her skincare routine. So why wouldn't you, as someone who wants to be cool and is in middle school and maybe the most popular girl has it, like, why wouldn't you also want that? So I think it really then boils down to the individual, which is a very dangerous place to be because, of course, the fault lies with the system. And, you know, the blame game is always talked about in terms of, like, who is at fault for our state of the world is it tech is it the government big tech is it the government is it the education system and probably it's all of the above but that's like the danger of it coming down to a person by person case do you think this metastasizes like a cancer or do you think this is fairly isolated to their silos taylor lorenz and many other researchers like becca lewis try to remind us that it isn't the algorithm it's the influence network do you think this will become more lucrative or do you think this is just something that does stay in its little niche or is this something that gets bigger oh it's absolutely not niche i think more often people are looking and realizing at how rabbit hole like things connect back to a very dangerous ideology i know like the trad wife and sort of like the coquette trend online is particularly one that got like a revisionist history recently of like, hey, actually, I don't think this is peddling a good uh, thought for women of maybe you should stay at home. Maybe you should like be maybe you should just escape capitalism and hack capitalism by marrying rich or something like that. So I think people are cognizant of the fact that it's really not an isolated thing. If we pivot this a little bit and talk about labor, there is a misguided sense in how young people even interact with this. Like, get ready with me content is a meme. You know, it's it's easy to do. It's easy to replicate. Young, I've been watching the, these Gen Alpha kids try to do it. And it's like, it's an exciting way of participatory media, which does go back to like the beautiful utopian era of the early OOs. You know, it's like there was a point when <laughs> everybody was like, oh, we're all going to have a new democracy. <laughs> it, we were so hopeful at that point. That was so, uh, I if I could turn back the clock. <laughs> I know. And it was like, it, it really, after Gamergate, though, we really got to see how the manipulation of the algorithm and the manipulation of influencing like really did take a, a, a dark, dangerous turn into those misogynist spaces that are fairly profitable. What I think is missing from like the trad wife explanation is like when you watch like Esty Williams, who gets leverage and your, your title here, cancel to conservative pipeline. I also think of it as like the cancel to conservative to mainstream pipeline. You know, it's like a way of getting mm. yourself into audiences at home because not even a lack of media literacy, but like just the straight up inability for booking agents or news writers to understand this is actually coded. And they platform people like SD Williams to be like, how do you do this? And young people don't understand that influencers are doing labor. This is work. Yeah. So it's not trad wife. It's not like doing nothing for your husband. It's, it's actually working. You're just working in a different style, but it's never explained properly. And it's dangerous because you have these young women seeking a life of trad wife. And then you have these young men who are seeking this alpha, putting that in hard scare quotes here, <laughs> that come from the other side and they actually don't interact. You know, they don't interact in the way that people think they do. So how do young people or just the mainstream, like this article is fantastic because Fast Company is a mainstream piece, but how does the mainstream become more literate of these examples? I think it's really about trying to open up a conversation between people who are consuming the media, people who are watching the media, and people who are creating it. I think there's just like this disconnect of people who are writing the news, but they there's this understanding, I think, in especially in cable news of like, this crazy thing is happening on TikTok. And, you know, there's always that scare of like, parents are 
like parents watch out for this drug in your kids Halloween candy and every year it gets memed every time because people are just like making fun of it I think there is an increasing understanding that influencers are paid to do anything. And that's that's opened the conversation of are we in this race towards the bottom of like influencers are just like peddling out like Shein garbage all the time. So I do think, I mean, it's becoming increasingly transparent that influencers are just selling us stuff. And so I have hope that there will be a time in which like they're not just media literacy, but holding institutions who should be creating checks and balances more accountable in the future. It is the thing that no matter if you are 60 or you are 12, like you check your apps and you consume content in any form, whether that's you're looking something up or you're being fed something. And so not just to have like people learn about how to build their media literacy, but to have it be standardized across like the population, I think would be incredibly helpful. But of course, influencers do need to start taking accountability because I think there is this world of influencers where it sits awkwardly now because it's moved so fast between, oh, like I'm just a girl who went viral or I'm just someone who went viral out of nowhere. And like, I didn't, I didn't expect any of this to happen. While at the same time, now, if you have a team, if you have an agent, if you have a publicist, that's a business. And there is this lack of accountability among influencers to step up and realize how deeply impactful, what kind of influence they really do have over the not even a child, but like an average consumer. <laughs> and Steffi, thank you so much for your work and shining light on these incredibly important issues and helping advance the cause for internet literacies. And we look forward to having you back on future weeks on the Digital Void podcast. I can't wait. Everyone should read my article because Jamie makes great quotes in it. And it was just a fantastic <laughs> interview. I had so much fun. Thanks again to Steffi for taking time to join us on the Digital Void podcast. We'll be back next week with a discussion about AI and PCs with games designer Reed Berkowitz. 